We have so much ground to cover that I cannot uh, delay us with a long introduction other than to say that we were created for intimacy with our Creator. We were created to be ruled and reigned over by someone greater than ourselves. It's just the makeup. You cannot run from that. It's just true. So one of two entities will rule and reign in your life. Either God will or you will. You will. No man is ultimately free in the ultimate sense of the word. We are created for connection with our great and mighty God. So before I go on to a longer introduction, let me get right into the passage. Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. We are going to deal again with 12 stones, but this time we will deal with two sets of stones. And it's significant, the number that is, it's 12. 12 is God's number for his rule and reign in government over your lives. When I say the word government, I'm not talking about what we see in different countries of the world right now. God's method of government has always been kingship. It has always been the rule and reign of a righteous king. That's his government. And he'll bring it on this earth for all. But right now, he rules and reigns within those who choose to follow him and submit to that kingship. So 12 stones are all about authority. They're all about governmental power all about who rules and reigns in your life. Two sets of stones we want to look at this morning. Joshua chapter 4, verse 8. And the people of Israel, now we left them last week, they have crossed the Jordan, or at least they're in the process of going over the river after it has been cut off, up, upstream at a town called Adam. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan. The riverbank was dried. Notice, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. That is, when Scripture says something over and over again, there's a reason for it. Look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 12. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. Go down to John, Joshua chapter 4 and uh, take verse 2. Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, a representative a man, from each tribe, twelve tribes, twelve men, in essence all Two or three million of them in representative form were to pick these stones up out of the Jordan and place a memorial. You follow that? God is not about establishing a hierarchy in Christendom of those here and those here. He is about a body of which all parts and members are important and about all parts and members picking these stones up all together. It's impossible for 12, 2 million people to pick up 12 stones. So God breaks it down with a representative from each tribe to represent their tribe to pick up the stone. Now let me be very plain and simple, as simple as I can be because I'm a simple man. The Jordan River is representative not 
of the trials and struggles of life. You hear that all the time when you read these commentaries, that the fact that these 12 were set up was to remember that God could do great things in our life, no matter what you're facing. Remember the moment that he conquered for you, and remember that. That's not what Jordan's about. The River Jordan is about the flesh for the Christian, sin within the Christian's life, flesh. And about God cutting that off by the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, in gold, cased, walked down in, the priest carried it down into that river and it was cut off. The priest that carried that ark was representative of the preacher who preaches the gospel, the teachers who teach the gospel. And as that ark is lifted up and they walk down into the river, God cuts off by the basis of that ark of what Christ did on the cross. And we pass over from one side to the other. We leave the ground of wandering in self-effort as Christians And we enter onto the resurrected ground of God's work in the Christian life. Just as clear as that. No longer on that side of the wilderness do we try to be a good Christian any longer. We recognize when God cuts the stream off and the twelve stones are exposed. Now, when you look into a stream, you cannot see the stones. They're covered over. Not until God cuts the stream off are the stones exposed for you to see. Not until God unveils the human heart do we have the ability to see the flesh as it truly is. The gospel is at one point the most painful message you'll ever understand. And at the very same moment it is the very freeing and liberating message. You can possibly see. But as we stand on the east side of the Jordan in the wilderness trying to live this thing out, it is not until the rivers we see the gospel for what it is, we see Christ, that that power of sin we see broken, and the fact of sin, those 12 stones buried forever in the water, we see them now. There is a fact, and facts are stubborn things. There is a fact that with every believer, true follower of Christ, there is the propensity to sin. There is the flesh. And until you reconcile and come to terms with that flesh, that only God can show us how selfish, self-centered, our own kingdom that we are building, that we ever accept God's remedy of the cross of Jesus Christ. Enter over. G.K. Chesterton said that the fact of sin was as practical as potatoes. Only an Englishman would use potatoes in his illustration. The fact of sin is as solid as 12 rocks, representative of the entire nation. There are no exceptions for the flesh. It dwells within all believers, all of us. 
Evan Hopkins, in his fine book, The Law of Liberty, says this, to learn sin's true nature, we must look at it not only in relation to ourselves, but in relation to God. We must regard it in connection with his infinite justice, his holiness, and his love. We only see it when we look at the cross, when we look at the gospel. It's the only time you see it. He said it is only in that light that we shall understand its real character. So before we go on, everyone clear, the River Jordan is about God cutting off the power of sin, the 12 stones that they're going to take out of that bed is in relation to the fact of sin that has been covered over, that God has uncovered for us. Look at verse 8, Joshua chapter 4. So they took up the 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according To the number of tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Now you'll find in a moment that Joshua will set them up as a memorial. We'll see how that plays into the story in a minute. But I want to introduce to you the second set of twelve stones. Notice verse 9. This is not the same 12 that were taken out of the Jordan. It says, And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan. Now we're not told which side he took those stones out of. I'm going to surmise that it is on the east side, the wilderness side. So we pull 12 stones out, we put 12 stones in. Notice in verse 9, Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest, notice, bearing the ark of the covenant had stood. And they are there until this day. But you can't see them anymore. They're buried over with the Jordan. They're down there. Don't ever forget that. So why would God tell Joshua to take 12 stones now, replacing them in the Jordan and the other 12? Notice it was 12 men who took them out. One man put them back in. Got it? Why didn't the 12 that took them out, go back across, get the stones, and why was it one man rather than the twelve? Follow me very carefully. I will again try to simplify this because, again, I'm a simple man, and that's the way I understand it. Those twelve that Joshua put in from, I, I believe, the wilderness side is who we were in the power of our flesh. How we tried to please God. How we tried to conquer the flesh on our own. The wilderness, you know, where you pull it off yourself rather than trusting God. Those are the twelve that one man buries in the Jordan. 
Forever one man takes all those 12 stones, which represents all of us, and buries them in death. One man, Christ Jesus, has buried all of us, who we were in all our efforts, has buried us in his grave. And who we are now, are what God took up, sanctified out of that river and set up a monument of what he can now do in our lives. Twelve in, twelve out. We will never in this life be free from the presence of sin. We get to heaven, we lose these old bodies, we're going to be free. But forever the flesh will always be there in its fullness. Just like those 12 will always be under the water. They are there unto this day. You will always deal with the flesh. You will never be able to conquer it on your own. Never be surprised at how mad and bitter, ugly and and selfish you can be. Never be disappointed in yourself. Never trust yourself again. That was your problem. You got let down because you expected something. The rocks are always under the Jordan. They're always there. Now praise God when he returns or we just keel over one day, we will be free from those 12 rocks in the Jordan. But there they are, buried. I'm going to tell you, the gospel is glorious. This is the gospel. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. When he died, I died. When he was buried, all that I was was buried with him. And when he rose, I rose with him now, sanctifying my personality, my life. I didn't lose anything. I just lost the flesh that held me down. He doesn't create robots. He took out of that river those 12, and you don't get anything more ordinary than a stone. These were probably about the size of a bowling ball. If you're in a river for a long time, the water beats over you till it smooths you down. These were not jagged rocks. These were smooth, bowling ball size, tough to set up in a monument, but there they are. There's nothing spectacular about the monument. There's nothing spectacular about you and I. I know we're all special. We're told that these days. But you know there's nothing really special about us. It's the God that we know that is special. It is the gospel that has been encased in a a, a trunk of gold. Let me give you a couple verses from the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, for I am not ashamed. Of the gospel. Notice, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone, to all the 12 tribes, to all the church, to the humblest believer, there's freedom. All of us. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, the gospel. Notice, for in it is the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of you and I. 
It is God's righteousness. Notice it is revealed from faith to faith. As we grow, we learn, we grow, we believe. As it is written, we shall now live by faith in a God who will victoriously give us victory in life. We will never more trust in ourselves in the wilderness. We are living by faith, not by effort. Isn't that beautiful? One more verse, and then we'll look back. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What do we do? We preach Christ crucified. It's the job of the preacher, job of the teacher, job of all of us to learn to stay centralized on the gospel. We are not to go into psychological talks. We are not to go into philosophical talks. We are not to waste our time talking the stuff that you can get from Oprah on the TV in her reruns. We are not to philosophize, which isn't even a word. I just made it up. We are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. John continually torments me from pictures from the bookstore of Joel Olstein's latest copy out. He finds certain pleasure in snapping shots and sending it to my text, knowing that I detest the writings and the, uh, the teachings. And he did it again yesterday. He, he sent me a copy of Joel's latest book, Nine Steps to a Better You. Karen says, I want to read that. That's what I did. <laughs> I think she's aggravating me also. God doesn't want a better you. He wants a buried you. He wants you to recognize that you've been crucified, you've been buried, and the life that you live is now his life in you. That's therein is the gospel. Why, Ed, would we waste our time as preachers with any other thing? Notice it says... That's a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. The reason the gospel isn't preached in many churches and they've gone into talks about how to improve your life is because the gospel offends. The gospel tells you that in your flesh is no good thing and only Christ is good. But doesn't that feed your soul? That's what you need. The gospel at one point is the most offensive message and it's the message that sets you free. But if you tell churches that kind of stuff it's it's just it's not what many want to hear but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks to those who are called beyond what they can do as Christians to those who are called to God and away from themselves notice what the gospel is it is the power of God it is the wisdom of God and you cannot explain it I'm enjoying the writings of G.K. Chesterton these days in a book called Orthodoxy. His opening chapter is a book called The Maniac, which talks about insanity and the reason for insanity. And listen to what he says. He says the reason men go insane is because they think too much. They reason too much. Everything has to have some kind of end to it, and they've got to figure it all out. But this is the line that really spoke to me. Chesterton says this, When men believe God, they get their heads into heaven. But when they have to figure out what we're talking about, they attempt to put heaven inside of their heads, and they'll split every time. A head explodes when you try to figure this stuff out. 
But for those who enter over into faith and believe, we are set free. A couple more verses, because I'm confident I won't get through the end of this. Notice verse 10. For the priest bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. Notice until the end. Preachers are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the end. Until the gospel is finished and the church shows up in heaven and we stick to it to the end. We don't throw the ark down and start talking about why the water's being held back and you know, just we stay with the gospel until it is finished. All right, let's go on. Look at verse 10. And that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people passed over in haste. Yeah, they ran. They ran. They were so ready to believe God that they ran. There were no selfies in between the river. There was nobody pumping Facebook Live. No one stopped for a picture with the ark. You know, let's all pose as a family in the ark. See the water behind us? Isn't that cool? No selfie sticks. They wanted to get to victory side. They wanted to get to resurrection side. A couple more verses. And when all the people had finished passing over the ark of the Lord and the priest passed over before the people. I think we'll stop there. I think we'll stop there. The fact of sin is as solid as a rock. You must come to terms with the fact that you'll never conquer flesh. And you won't see flesh until the Holy Spirit begins to pull it back and show it to you. And it's the most astounding and a startling discovery. It can be in a moment very discouraging, very disheartening. But it is only when we see the truth that we are set free from any more trying to live the Christian life. Can't do it. Forget it. Can't do it. The fact of sin within us will always be abiding always, until we lose this body. It's a fact. And facts are stubborn things. They don't go away. Two plus two is four, and flesh is within all of us as believers. It just is. That isn't number two. The fact of his life in us is as solid as a stack of rocks. The fact that he's in us is solid and it is your new reality. To walk in victory land is as solid as that. They were to set up that memorial to never forget that sin was cut off by the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything they were going to fight in the future of the people of Jericho and Ai, and all the tribes, the Amorites, and all those mosquito bites in the land, everything they were going to try to fight in there was based on looking back at the monument of 12 rocks where now the rule and reign of God was, to, was carried out over there and that sin was cut off. 
It's not, the, it's not the people in your life that are the problem. It's not your circumstances that are the problem. You can't, it's not the fact you haven't fixed this or fixed that. It's sin inside of us. You don't see it when you drive onto the property here, but you know it if you get on a lawnmower that this property has a lot of dips and dives and, and valleys and holes. And I always wondered, how in the world did it get so this? You know, how did it do that? And, and I, I learned through the history of Suncoast, which is quite fascinating. Actually, a book should be written someday about the history of Suncoast. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but I learned that years ago there were trees all over the place. It was pine trees all through this field, which is a funny story because the preacher that was here now didn't like the pine trees. So rather than ask for permission, he decided to ask for forgiveness. And one Sunday morning, all the church members drove in and all the pine trees were on the ground. I don't think it made some church members happy, but there it goes. So in order to bury either those trees or some trees they took down, they buried them. Rather than tote them off, they dug holes and put them in the ground. Now, some of you old-timers, you tell me if I'm wrong, but they bury those trees. Now, anybody with any sense knows that when you bury a tree, the tree will eventually rot, and the ground will go down. That's, that's, why, we, that's why we do this. Back when they were talking about the foundation of the house that Karen and I are building now, there was a great debate between Karen and I of what the foundation ought to be. She wanted a slab of concrete with some, a stem wall, and she wanted to build like that. I felt it was wise to use the state forest behind us and cut down some pine trees and stack the pine trees on end and built the house on that. There was great conflict in our home until finally I gave in and it's built on concrete. If you want to build your Christian life, build it on the stones of facts. And the fact is, you have died to sin and Christ lives in you. That's a foundation that does not fall in. Number three, what our Joshua, our Christ, by the way, you know Joshua they didn't pronounce the J. If you went back in this time and said, hey, where's Joshua? They wouldn't even know who you're talking about. It's Yahshua or Yahshua. It's the same name in the Hebrew as Jesus Christ. Jesus is actually Greek. His name was Yahshua, same as Joshua. He's kind of a picture of our Christ. Notice what our Joshua has accomplished is to be our ruling authority. Now, I started the message with the introduction Who rules your life? Either God will or you will. And if you and I rule it, the ruling authority will be the flesh. And every reaction and action that you have will be based on you, not him. What he has accomplished becomes our ruling authority. Lord Jesus, we pause and pray and cry out to you to show us these things. Make it so clearly evident that our lives now have been taken out, cut off from sin, that all that we were, all that we did, and really the basis and source of our life is buried in the Jordan. We're done. We're gone. And who we are now is in vital connection with Christ. This is our authority. This is our ruling template This is who we are now, cut off from sin, connected with you, 
dead to sin, alive to God. Dead to sin and alive to God on the banks of the promised land. We ask you, Father, for anyone here today who's never come to Christ, never come to Christ, that they would confess their need for a Savior and be born again. Father, we ask you to bless as we sing one last song of worship together. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and stand.